But I'm going to start with a couple verses from Genesis chapter 2 just to kind of set some context for us. When God created, he had a garden of Eden on the earth. He had created man. Um, and this is one of the things that God commands man about in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. The Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And anytime you like read a book or you're watching a movie or see a TV show where something like this happens, you just kind of know the one thing that that person is told not to do, you know they're going to do it. Like that's the thing that's coming here. And this is what happens with, with man, with mankind. In Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1, we read this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And this is the beginning of the end when it comes to our relationship with God. Um, there are some key phrases within this story that kind of highlight what it looks like when we start to buy into lies and how they affect how we live out our, our lives and how they impact us. Um, and uh, there's a couple of those, thing, those phrases that I want to, uh, to point out. First is this. One of the first things that comes, at least as far as we know with what the text gives us, uh, that's an inaccuracy, I'll, I'll call it that, is when Eve tells the serpent that one of the things they're not supposed to do with this tree is they're not supposed to touch it. And in point of fact, in Genesis chapter 2, when God commands man not to eat of the tree, he actually doesn't mention touching it at all. And so it's really interesting to me, like one of the things that seems to be a habit, and may, I've, I mean, I've done this, and maybe you've experienced this too, is sometimes we end up like creating extra stuff that we add on to things to kind of convince us of, of, of I, don't, I don't know, maybe it makes it easier for us in how we think about things. What, what, what it really does is it just kind of distracts us from what the truth actually is. Because the issue is not so much that God was concerned about what, whether or not they might accidentally brush up against this tree and hit the fruit. The issue is what's going on in that person's heart. And that God didn't want Adam and Eve to even be interested in going near that because of the relationship that he desired to have with them. And that, that by them eating that fruit, it was going to break that relationship. And so one of the things I think that's so key is like understanding what the things are that we use as distractions from what the truth actually is in our life. That it's not like God is just making me kind of jump through this hoop, but it's that he actually cares about the content and character of my heart and how that impacts how I, how I live my life. The second, uh, the second one is this, and this is a more uh, bald-faced lie um, that Satan uses. He says, you will not certainly die. Satan speaking through the serpent, he's described as this uh, throughout Scripture, gives information that seems like maybe it could be true. Because if I've gone up and I've touched the fruit and I haven't died, because I've convinced myself that that was what God said, even though he didn't, um, 
it plants enough of a seed of doubt in Adam and Eve's mind, and I know it doesn't seem like Adam's involved, but we'll get to him in a second, that they're willing to risk the whole of their existence on what we know to be a lie. What's worse is not only did this sin usher in physical death, and, and that was delayed, so it seems like, oh, maybe this could be true, it caused instant spiritual death as well. And the rationale that Eve and Adam uses looks uncomfortably similar to lies that we can think back, that we've told ourselves that have gotten us into trouble. Oh, this, this looks good. This seems like it would, could be a good idea. Um, this, this might even produce some things that I want to have happen in my life. And so maybe I go and do this thing. The lies that we want to be true so we can get what we think we want often begin in this way. I, I, don't just, I don't just want this thing. I need this thing in my life. I need this to feel more like myself. I need this to uh, have a greater sense of purpose and who I want to be. Um, it, so it's good, it's good for food. It's something that I, I, I need in my life. It's pleasing to the eye. The one thing that we're not supposed to have or not supposed to do, why is that always the most exciting thing for us? You know, because that's the thing is, hey, you don't need this experience in our life. Yeah, but I just need to know for myself. Okay, you know, and that's what brings misery to us. The desirable for gaining wisdom. These are the excuses that Eve uses. If I pursue this for myself, I will know and understand my desires and my world more for having a more complete understanding and enjoyment of my life with this experience. If I can only do this forbidden thing that God has said I shouldn't do. And all along the way... Adam was with her. That's a key phrase that's mentioned in, in that text. Adam, who was with her, hanging out, just watching all this happen, knew better, and didn't say anything, and so he's culpable for the exact same line of reasoning, ate with Eve, and then later tries to pin everything on her, if you keep reading. Men, am I right? <laughs> and and not only, not only is this an introduction into how believing lies is a bad thing, um, as if we didn't already know that, it also serves as an introduction into why we willingly believe lies and why the most egregious offender of lies we believe is one of the most popular ideas that's repeated today. And, and it's this. So the, but this is both the introduction to the series and the introduction for, uh, for what we're talking about today. And this is the most egregious lie that's repeated constantly today, and that is that we should follow our hearts. If you follow your heart, these are the things that we're convinced of. We're going to be happy. We're going to find fulfillment. We're going to be self-actualized. We'll seek our purpose out, and everything's going to be amazing in our life. And yet this is exactly what Adam and Eve did at the very beginning of the breaking of humanity's relationship with God. They followed their heart. And quite frankly, I just want to let you know that this is the worst advice that we could possibly give to another person. That, that, that person should follow their heart. Go through a little mental exercise with me, if, if you will. At what point in, a life, in, in someone's life, and think about like birth through, uh, birth through death, does, does telling them to follow your heart start to become like a wise thing to say. Is it when they're a toddler? Hey, sweetheart, I, I know you want to dictate everything our family does, like, and, and just on a whim, you want to cry to get your way and stuff like that. You should, you should follow your heart, though. You should do you. Like, that's a good, do we say that to toddlers? No. All right. So how about our elementary school-age kid that's just started using deodorant? Like, all right, honey, now it's time for you to follow your heart because 
That's, that's going to be a good thing for them. Or maybe teenagers. How about teenagers? <laughs> Honey, while you, while you know everything in life and you have all the answers, you should, you should do you. Like, follow your heart in your life. How about <laughs> as an adult? Like, maybe think about your younger adult years, maybe to, to this point. Like, has following your heart, how has that worked out for you? Like, honestly, think through in your life, how has that actually worked out? Everything's gone perfectly for all of us, I'm sure, Right? I know for a fact it hasn't for me when I've done that. And I, I say all this to say is that there's not, a, there's not a switch that flips at a certain age where all of a sudden this is the best advice that you can follow in your life. This is not suddenly the key to everything that you've always wanted. Uh, but it's the symptom of ignoring the truth that follow your heart goes against. And that's this, is that just because our heart wants something doesn't make it true. It doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it healthy. It doesn't mean it's going to lead to what we want it to lead. It doesn't mean that it's in harmony with God's best for us or even beneficial or that it will even come close to producing happiness for us in our life. And maybe you've had a good run. Maybe you've gotten lucky on some things in your life and following your heart. And we're going to, um, we're going to talk about why that is and how that can be true here, a little bit later here in a few minutes. However, most of us can relate to sometimes getting exactly what we want. And after that, we're left with only a momentary satisfaction. And we're, perhaps we've devoted time and energy into want our, in what we want. And then we find ourselves in a place we never wanted to end up at all. A few months ago, we did a sermon series, this is back in October in 2019, called Enemies of the Heart. Uh, it was about anger, greed, guilt, and jealousy. Um, it was based on a book of the same name. And the theme verse, if those are some things you're dealing with in your heart, we're not talking about that in that series, but you can go back and listen to those on our podcast. Um, but the theme verse for that series was from Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, and bears repeating, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? And it's because of sin. It's because of the brokenness of sin. When the condition of our hearts are left unchecked and unconsidered, our hearts deceive us. And so when we read from the wisdom that comes from God and how we should approach our life and think about why we do what we do and why we approach and pursue the things that we do, we read things like Proverbs chapter 14, verse 8. that says, The wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways, but the folly of fools is deception. And, and we consider that and find out, well, like, how, how does that apply in our lives, and how does that change how we should think about what we do and who we are? The thing that piqued Adam and Eve's interest the most was the thought that they could be like God if they ate the fruit. And that's absolutely a desirable thing. That's the deception, though, that the enemy wants us to buy into most fully, is that we can do that on our own. The wisdom that is actually most desirable to us, that's that which actually does leave us self-actualized, produces purpose, fulfillment, sustained happiness, and joy, can only come from the one who created that wisdom in the first place. And so no one can become like God by disobeying him, and yet this is exactly the rationale used that set the ongoing sin cycle in motion for Adam and Eve um, that causes our need for God to redeem us through Jesus, and it continues to this day. Like, it's the it's sin cycle that we all, all jump into. And the truth that sets us free from this lie and this sin cycle is that following God's heart is what leads to God's best for all of us. When someone tells you or me to follow our heart or trust our gut or go after whatever makes us happy, it will sound the moment like they have our best interests at heart. Or we may even be fooled into thinking that because God is love that he just wants us to be happy and so to go kind of do our own thing. 
But dopamine in the moment isn't the lasting joy God wants for us. Imagine Adam and Eve's response to God in this moment being, God, we know you said not to do this. Like if they actually said this to God, obviously this is their response because they did it. But if, if they articulated the line of reasoning and thinking they had to have to get to this point in their life, God, we know you said not to do this, but we felt like enough time had passed that you probably didn't really care anymore because there's no way you would expect us to deny ourselves from such delicious-looking fruit. And so we're just not going to bother at this point in our life. And, and that's the thing that's really important to know about our heart and who he is, that our personalities, who we are, our makeup, is that not only, yes, are we all made in God's image, and that's why we have intrinsic value, that's why we care about, that's why we're called into community as, as our faith, as we live out our faith uh, together, and that, that's an amazing thing, it's something worth celebrating. But in addition to that, we also have personalities that are born out of the brokenness of sin and our separation of God. And like some of those things just aren't good things. Some of those things are worth working for. Like one of the things that I think is great about how people are able, like more and more we're able to kind of know ourselves, which is kind of the, um, I feel like has a lot to do with just how wealthy we are because if you're like concerned about your well-being and survival, you don't have to worry about all these kinds of things. So we're in our own heads a lot more than we should be. That's all. Oh. That's another message for another time, maybe, or maybe a conversation uh, in the lobby sometime. Uh, but we, we know more about ourselves, right? Myers-Briggs, disk analysis, strength finders, Enneagram, and all that kind of stuff. And one of the things, and I mentioned this before, one of the things that hurts us is when we know more about ourselves and we think, oh, what we need to do is cater our world more to that thing within us, instead of understanding that some of that is born out of our brokenness. Like, because we didn't have a perfect upbringing. We haven't had perfect circumstances all through our life. And so what are the things that God uses through us that produces good in us through those things that are a part of his image? And yet, what are those things that are kind of keeping us from experiencing what God wants us to experience? When we get lucky with our gut feelings, death may have not come yet. And there are some things that I've certainly survived in my life and have lived to uh, be here to tell the tale about it. But the spiritual decay that's already begun will eventually lead there. It will present as dissatisfaction, whatever, the, but the, the lack of contentment will be cl uh, the clue that your heart didn't lead to where you thought it would. And so the proverbial wisdom we referenced earlier bears repeating, Proverbs 14.8, the wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways, but the folly of fools is deception. Now, there is a point in our life, in our faith, where we can listen to our gut feelings a lot more, and, and it's when our heart starts to become more and more like God's. When, when we have, in our life with God, in our relationship with him, as we follow Jesus, as we pursue him more and more, when we saturated our heart with knowing who God is, what he's designed for us in relationship with Jesus, uh, how we listen intently for the Holy Spirit to guide us, that's when we can start to listen to that still, small, quiet voice that is guiding us to God's heart for us in our lives. Last week, uh, I just want to give you a pr real practical example of what this looks like in our lives. Uh, this may not seem like a big deal to you, but, but it is. Over the course of time in your life, it's incredibly significant in how we experience God's best for our lives. Last week, I um, had a friend, a member here at our church, pull me aside in the lobby and said, hey, I just want to let you know something. I didn't want to come to church today. And, and as a pastor, like, that's your favorite thing to hear is, uh, oh, I, I didn't want to be here. <laughs> I could have been playing golf or, or, or something, something like that. Um, I've thought about that sometimes. Like, what if I just didn't show up? What if I, you know, just went and 
That's not funny? Okay, all right. <laughs> so uh, they said, hey, uh, you know, here are some of the things that have been going on in uh, my family's life, and, and some of the things I knew a little bit about, but I didn't know exactly uh, some of the current things that they were going through and wrestling through. And, and just, you know, when I got up this morning, um, I was just exhausted. In fact, I didn't even set my alarm. <laughs> and, um, and yet I woke up, and, and I was reminded of this thing. And this is something that I thought was so wise that I asked them if I could share this. Um, they said, every time, uh, and this has happened for them, they said like 10, 15 times, when I have this thought, it's like, man, I, I just don't want to show up at church today. Like, I just have no desire, not serving this Sunday, so I really, you know, will anybody really notice? Um, uh, every time that happens, I recognize that the only one who really doesn't want me to be there would be the enemy, because he's trying to feed me that lie. He doesn't want me to be where... God wants me to be. And every time that I reject that lie and I come, that's the exact Sunday that I needed to be there. And let me tell you, it's not because I had some brilliant message that like, oh, this is going to be the thing that you need to hear. And I have, all the, I have the word from the Lord that's going to change everything in your life right, right now. Like it's not me, but that's what the Holy Spirit does. And that's how God works and that's how he operates. It's one of the primary ways that he calls us into relationship with him is through community with each other. And so by being here and showing up, he, that person was able to experience God's best for them. They were able to hear exactly what they needed to hear in that moment for them because they didn't buy into the lie. In Hebrews chapter 4, uh, verse 12 through 16, and I know this is a lengthy passage, but, but here, uh, focus in on, um, on what's being said here. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 through 16. The word of God is alive and active. I don't know if you've ever thought about God's word, scripture, being alive and active in your life. But this is how it's described. The word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And so here, here are a couple things I, I just want to give you, and, and do what you want with them. Write these things down uh, if, if you think they will be helpful, but at least use these things to kind of cause yourself to take pause in, in how maybe you approach some things uh, in your life, in your daily living, the things that you're convinced of. Don't, when it comes to following our heart versus God, don't, don't pursue things just based on how they appear to be. Um, because how things look in the moment has nothing to do with how they are. When the, when the woman, uh, when Adam and Eve, when, when uh, Eve is described as looking at, you know, the fruit and seeing, oh, that it looks pleasing to the eye, it would be good to eat, like it would be tasty. Um, in the moment, like I'm sure it was. Like I imagine it may have been the most delicious tasting thing in, in the garden, maybe. So what if it was? The consequences of that thing were far more reaching than how good they looked in that temporary moment. And God's heart for us 
is meant to sustain us not just for the moment, but for eternity. So how things appear to be, like, recognize the lie that's, that, man, things are always made to look shiny and more appealing and more attractive when they have less substance. And we know that's true. So be reminded of that. The second thing is, don't do things based on cultural wisdom or anecdotal wisdom or experiential wisdom. Choose godly wisdom. I mean, there's some things that we go through, like, I don't know, maybe you've had a tough time with, um, with relationships, you know, where people have burned you because they've treated you poorly and stuff. And maybe that's kept you from entering to some of the spiritual friendships that God calls you to as a part of, a part of this congregation. Like, that, that's, that's the experiential wisdom that, that you've acquired over the year to, like, be guarded and not to open up to people around you. And yet, that doesn't enable you to experience God's heart for you and how there are people who actually do care for you. Or cultural wisdom and the thing like, oh, this is what we need to pursue in life. This is how we're most fulfilled. These are the things that are most important for our bank accounts to be strapped to and tied to, whatever it may be. And this is the career that I have to have to be able to have this lifestyle that I'm told that I should be able to have. And yet maybe you're missing out on God's best for you in, in that place in your life. This fruit, you know, that's desirable for gaining wisdom, for gaining the life that we've always wanted when in reality, God has already provided that. He's already provided those things for us. Eventually, as we pursue Christ-likeness more and more in our lives, our gut feelings become God's guiding through the Holy Spirit feelings, and that's when we can trust our heart, when it looks more and more like his. We have to learn, we have to unlearn what we have learned from our own hearts first. Um, I've got a picture of an elephant, and uh, I know that seems strange, but I had a conversation this past week, and I was like, oh man, this is going to be perfect for the sermon Sunday, and um, talking about randomly uh, elephant training, and so when a, an elephant is small, to uh, train it or to get it to stay where you want it to stay, you would bind one of its legs, tether it to a pole that's sunk in the ground, and they can't go anywhere, right? So pull and pull as they might, they learn <clears throat> over time that they cannot get away from this tether, all right? And what happens is, is as that elephant grows bigger, and some of the biggest elephants can be anywhere from, from two to seven tons, like they could pull down this entire building if they were tethered to it, um, that that tether around their leg that's just on a pole in the ground that they could easily rip up, what, they're lear- what they learn over the course of time is that they can't get away. And so even as two to seven ton huge animals that could rip any of that stuff out of the ground, they still stay tethered to that pole. Because they've learned over the course of time that, that, they're, that they can't go anywhere. And that's that's what, like, you see the connection, right? I mean, that's, that's what lies do to us, is that God says, hey, things don't have to stay this way in your life. They, they can move, like, they can, we can move forward. You can move closer to me. They can, they can be better. And our sin that so easily entangles us keeps us tethered to those lies that don't allow us to experience God's best for us. Following our own heart keeps us from who God enables us to be. And God wants us to be free. 
He wants us to be able to be free to experience the relationship with him that he's always desired for humanity. Sin and broken hearts are what keep us tethered, thinking we can't move forward and they might as well be stuck with what we have. And throughout scripture, God gives us steps that untether us from, from that reality. He gives us Jesus, who comes, experiences life just as we have, but without sin, untethers us from that through his death, burial, and resurrection. Baptism. You know, sometimes that, you know, people are like, wow, that's an interesting step. In there, like, you, dunk, you get dunked underwater, you come back up, and there's this picture and this symbolism of, of being washed clean, you know, being an old creation that comes up in a new creation, another untethering moment for us. Drawing us into community with each other. That, that we can actually have relationships that help to fulfill some of the ways in which we're called to be made in God's image and live that out among each other. That's an untethering moment for us. Serving other people. Where we get to see the, like, one-to-one, the direct impact that our lives have when we treat others the way that God has called us to treat them. That's an untethering moment for us. God wants us to be free. He doesn't want us to be shackled by our hearts uh, when they're broken. He wants us to draw near to his uh, so we can become more like him, so we can experience exactly what he's designed us for in this life and for eternity. And so I want to encourage you as we go through the series and as we talk about these lies we believe and the truth that sets us free, I want to challenge you to think through what are the things, like Proverbs 14, 8 says, is to consider our ways. Like, what are the areas in our, in our lives that, that we're kind of tethered and held back from where God wants us to go? Uh, because we followed our hearts rather than his. Let me pray for us uh, this moment, uh, in this moment, as we, uh, as we meditate on this together. God, um, there are obstacles uh, between our, us and you. And all along the way, you have broken down those obstacles. You've broken down those barriers. You've done that with Jesus. You continue to do that in our lives as Christians with the Holy Spirit. And God, we ask that you help us to see that more clearly uh, as we have opportunities to consider how we might draw nearer to you, closer to your heart, that you would help us to see clearly uh, in the decisions that we make, the day-to-day relationships that we have, how we might follow you more nearly. God, we we love you and we praise you for uh, setting us free. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.